So we're in a, um, a short series here in between our um, expositional series, and we're talking about how we pursued discipleship together here at Westwood. Um, last week, you were introduced to a statement that Jason made. I think I made it. You're going to continue to hear it, that the way we seek to make disciples here is really pretty simple. It's not a program. It's not not events, it's not those kinds of things, it's, it's focusing on people, it's centering on people and it's centering on the Word. And, and what we said last week and what we'll continue to talk about for several more weeks is that we are a part of God's plan, we are being a part of what God is doing in this world as we seek to proclaim God's Word. As God's people, we proclaim God's Word, alright? We proclaim His Word, that's what we're going to look at today. We do that in prayerful dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about what that looks like next week. And we do it with perseverance. We just continue at it, okay? And that's, that's the statement that we are seeking as God's people to proclaim His Word in prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit with perseverance. And so we're going to look at that second P. And I talked to the guys this week. We were doing a little bit of sermon planning. And I, and I almost feel like... That guy who, um, you know, who has a relative that kind of comes to visit and brings their suitcase and just seems to stay. You know, they like, how long are you going to stay? I mean, we've we've had family come and kind of do that with us before. And I almost feel that way sometimes about the book of Ephesians because we we finished it up a couple of weeks ago. And I remember saying, I'm kind of sad that we're leaving it. Well, he's still hanging around. All right. Ephesians is still hanging around. And it seems like that's the focus of a lot of what we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about. So what does it mean? And, and if you're looking at your sermon outline, there's a there's a phrase in there that actually I thought about as a title for this message today. And you'll hear from Jason, too, in just a minute about truthing. Truthing. What in the world is truthing? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. But as we think about God's word and our call to proclaim it, I want us to go back and think for just a second and kind of lay the groundwork. It's important, I think, that we do this. What is it that God is doing in this world? All right? I prayed a minute ago. We see things just seemingly at times in shreds, not together, not according to any purpose and plan. But Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 very clearly what God's plan and purpose and intentions are for this world. All right? Look back at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 10. He says that according to his purpose, according to God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on the earth. That is God's plan for this world. To unite all things together in Christ. To bring everything under the dominion of Christ. And if we think about that for just a second and we see the division of this world. And hear the groaning of this world. And see the tears of this world. Our own in fact. And we see that this world does not look as if this is the direction that it's moving. Minds are divided. Hearts are broken. Families are broken. Whole communities and countries are torn apart. And yet here we see that God's intention is that one day everything that was lost in Adam will be replaced and restored and made better in Christ. That's what we saw in the book of Revelation. That's where it's headed. 
And everything that was lost in Adam is going to be restored in Christ. And God has got two creations that we see according to Ephesians and what we've seen through the rest of Scripture. He has this physical creation around us that we live in, but he is also creating for himself a third race, the church. And one day, that new heavens and new earth will be united with his new creation, the church, under the headship of Christ. One day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Some rejoicing in the salvation that is theirs in Christ, ours in Christ, and some acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and he's been rejected. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The ultimate destiny, I remember talking about this as we were looking at this passage, the ultimate destiny of the universe, and by the way, your ultimate destiny, lies in the hands that were nailed to the cross. And your destiny is determined by your response to that. And God's plan and purposes are centered on that. So how does he call us to be involved in that? Well, again, in the book of Ephesians, we see that. But we heard that from Jason last week as he unfolded for us the Great Commission. How does God intend to bring everything together under the headship of Christ? Well, he allows us and calls us to be a part of that plan through the commission that we heard and saw last week in Matthew 28, that we're called to go and make disciples. And in that process of making disciples and making disciples that make more disciples, God is bringing his gospel into this world. And it says in the trellis and the vine, the book that we're using as our model for this, I love this quote. The commission, talking about the Great Commission, is not fundamentally about some mission out there somewhere else in another country. It's a commission that makes disciple-making the normal agenda and priority for every church and every church disciple. So we are called to be a part of this God's plan to unite everything in Christ. And what is his strategy for that? How does that work? Well, again, I was, I was thinking this week, and let me just, one of the things that I do when I exercise, whether I'm hiking or whatever, I don't run unless you're chasing me, um, but if I'm on a bike or, or if I'm, you know, my, my habit is to put earphones in and crank up rock and roll as loud as I can handle it because I need the beat to keep my heart rate up. But I, honestly, I was convicted about that a couple of weeks ago, um, not because it's blowing my eardrums out, which it may be, but because I need, I need that time for something other than the beat. And so this week I was, I was hiking out at Mayo Lake, no, yeah, out at Mayo and just doing the trails out there. And it was a decision that I made and it was a discipline for me because I do have to discipline myself in this and I don't think I'm alone in this. It's okay if I don't have the earbuds in and I'm not listening to something, but even then I have to discipline my thoughts. I have to be sure I'm thinking the right way, all right? Intentionally thinking. And so, I started just thinking through some scripture passages, thinking through, literally, I was, I was praying through and thinking through Ephesians 3, where Paul prays for the church. And that prayer that he prays for the church is that God would, just out of the abundance of his power, out of the abundance of his glory, would just pour out for us this amazing prayer that Paul prays there is that, that we would just be so 
aware of and grounded in the love that Christ has for us, but it backs up even further than that. And as I was thinking through that prayer and just working through those verses, so what I what I share this morning really came from that time with God in the woods out there at at, at Mayo. And um, and I, I just encourage you to to do that. We're going to talk in a minute about what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And it's going to look different in each of our lives, but I would commend that to you. I would commend time with God in the Word through whatever activity it is that you may be involved in at that particular place. The, Paul, the prayer that Paul prays, flip back over to Ephesians 3 and look at it for just a second. He's praying for us to be strengthened in Christ, but... You know, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. And then as he bows his knees before the Lord, he's he's relying on him and, and just praying according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his power in your inner being. And then it says that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And as I remembered preaching through that and went back and looked at some notes from that. This idea that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith is this idea that Jesus is making himself at home in our hearts. He's making himself at home there. And as he makes himself at home there, as he takes up this dwelling place in us, then he begins to do a work in that dwelling place, right? He's bringing all his stuff with him. Jesus is going to bring his stuff with him when he comes in. And a part of what that is, is the power of his Holy Spirit, his indwelling Holy Spirit. It's going to be the word. And yet we see something in this. If we look at Colossians as well, not only are we praying and pleading for God to strengthen us and one another by his power so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That's not there's no command in this part of Ephesians. He's just simply showing us how to pray. And he prays that Christ, by his spirit, will be allowed to settle down. In our hearts. And that as he settles in, and that process of sanctification continues in our lives, then God's dwelling within us, Christ is dwelling within us, and his word dwells within us. Over in Colossians chapter 1, turn there. Colossians 1 3, Paul prays a very similar prayer. He says, We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, and notice the term that he uses there in verse 5, the word of truth, the gospel. The word of Christ dwelling in us begins with a hearing of the word. You heard Liz sharing that testimony with you of the opportunity that is before us through My Life Matters. To speak that word. Well, that hearing of the word, that hearing of the truth, the gospel. And what you'll find in the New Testament and indeed throughout the Bible is these interchangeable words for God's word. The truth. The gospel. The word of Christ. The word of God. Sometimes it's referred to as the faith. All right? The faith that was handed down, Titus talks about. Paul talks about in Titus. So this word comes and dwells in us as we hear it. And then there's a response to the word. Paul in Ephesians chapter one commends the Ephesians because he says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, look at what it says. You believed in him. 
And we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the word dwelling in us comes as we hear the word and as we respond to the word. And then there is growth in the word. So that which we proclaim, that which we are called to share as a part of this mission of making disciples, comes into our own lives as we first hear it, believe it, and then begin to grow in it. And what I find interesting, and this is what I've been thinking about this week, that here is the sovereign Lord of the universe coming and taking up residence in our lives and bringing his stuff with him as he comes. And yet Paul, in Colossians 3, gives us this word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A couple of verses before, he says, let the peace of Christ dwell in you. So here's the sovereign Lord of the universe coming and taking up residence. And here we're called to let him do something. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So here we're confronted once again with this mysterious truth of the word. That God is sovereign and yet we're called to take responsibility and make decisions. And we're accountable for those decisions. And that's especially true for us as God's children as we seek to grow in Christ. And grow in the word. And so here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This idea that it's dwelling, it's taking up residence, it's living there, and it's not doing it meagerly. Okay? It's richly. There's a lavishness here. There's a depth. There's a fruitfulness to it. And how does that happen? How is it that the word of God becomes the vocabulary for God's people? Think about the way I just said that. I know certain people that when I'm around them, I know what they're going to talk about. And some may say that about me. What are we known for talking about? I know when I'm around him, it's going to be a political discussion. I know when I'm around her, it's going to be about her grandchildren. I know when I'm around him, it's going to be about that crazy football game I saw yesterday in Boone. I mean, I could go on. Sports, athletics, family, politics. What are we known for talking about? I submit to you that as God's people, we should be known for our vocabulary, which should be the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And as we see this laid out before us, how does that happen? How do we learn to talk? How do we learn to speak the way we should? Well, it starts with, obviously, a response to Christ, a response of faith where the Lord of the universe becomes the Lord of my life and steps in and takes up residence in my life. And he does bring his stuff with him. And so it's, it's an intake first of the word. We don't learn the word by osmosis. We don't sleep on it under our pillow and it makes its way in. We know that, you know. I shouldn't have to say that, but as I, as I look at my own life sometimes, it's like, how do you expect that to happen? It's not even going to happen as I spend time in the Word studying for a sermon. That can be academic. That can be professional. It may not be personal. So it begins with intake. And I'm not talking fire hose intake. I'm talking IV. I'm talking a steady trickle. A steady stream. Just an intake of the word. A constant steady stream of the word. 
And I can't tell you how that's going to play out in your life. I don't know what that's going to look like. But it's got to be a a regular intake of the word. And then secondly, there needs to be meditation on it. I thought about marinating. Just to just to take a portion of that word, a sentence of it, even even just a, a fragment of it and really meditate, camping out on it, spending time in it, letting that be the theme of of your drive, letting that be the theme of your workout, letting that be the theme of your walk, letting that be the theme as you sweep or mop or whatever it might be, letting that be that one phrase that one thought, that one nugget of truth, just meditating on it, marinating on it. And then, thirdly, making decisions accordingly. Letting that word direct me today. Letting that word be what guides my steps, guides my decisions. Kind of what we talked about, I don't know, last week or the week before, that we're going to say, okay, I'm going to do this or that because of what I believe. I'm going to do this or that because of what the word says. Not because of what might happen. So I'm directed by the word. As we do that, then, this word indwelling us, inhabiting in us, taking fruit in us, dwelling in us richly, then that word is spoken by and among us. And that gets to back to Ephesians chapter four, where we're called that instead of being tossed about by every wave that comes along, we're to grow up into Christ, who is our head. And that growth comes as we speak the truth in love. And that's where the word truthing comes from because the word for speaking here this word that we have here for truth is not a noun it's a verb it is something that we do and some translators put it truthing in love how do we truth in love and that's the picture here it's living it out it's Acting it out. This is, this is how it's translated. When Christ lives in our hearts through faith and he makes our heart his home and he comes in with his stuff and starts shaping our hearts accordingly to his character, his word becomes for us what we see in Psalm 119 as it was to David. It becomes my delight. It becomes my joy. It becomes my song. It becomes in verse 105, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It becomes our vocabulary, as we see in Colossians and Ephesians, that we speak the truth in love, but we also sing it and we teach it and we share it. And it's a part of who we are and it comes out from us very naturally. So truthing is discipling. Discipling is truthing. Discipling that is truthing is a truth orientation, a word orientation with our lives, with our conversations with our relationships. So it's centered on the word and it's motivated and directed by love. We speak the truth in love. And this is not just simply speaking truth as opposed to falsehood. This is God's word as opposed to everything else. Okay, this is the vocabulary of the heart of the believer. And so it says that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. And as he dwells in our hearts through faith, then we are rooted and grounded in this understanding of God's love. And that we would have the strength with all of the saints, Paul prays. This is something done corporately. We'll have strength with all of the saints to comprehend this amazing love of God. The length and breadth and the height and depth of it. And so we're motivated by this love. 
And, and as that begins to work in our lives, it says we are filled with the very fullness of God. We're called in 5.1 to imitate God. And the imitation of God there is we're to love like Christ's love. To lay our lives down in a sacrificial love for one another. And so this truthing, this living the truth out for us, is motivated by the love of Christ. It's motivated by our love as brothers and sisters in Christ within the body and motivated by our love for a hurting, dying, lost world out there. What does that look like? I mean, what does that actually look like as we speak the word in to other people's lives? Well, Jason, come and kind of give us an overview of that. graphic before um, to kind of lay out what this looks like um, to highlight a crucial um, truth about all of us uh, in relation to Christ that helps us understand um, what this looks like uh, taking place in reality. And sometimes graphics can be cold. They're up on the screen. Uh, We point to them. We talk about them, but uh, they're not very helpful because they're not very personable. So I'm going to give you a living graphic this morning, okay? So if I asked you to help me this morning, would you come on forward? And if you would sit on this side, and I'll call you up one by one as we kind of lay this out, okay? Elijah, come on up here since you're the first one. And you're my son. I can pick on you. We see, and Gerald has held up for us um, this morning once again. And I hope that you can see these when I was doing it last night. I was thinking, man, these are not very big as I thought. But over here you see what God's objective is in redemption. We see that God is redeeming us in order to bring us back to himself. He's not just redeeming us so that we get heaven for all of eternity. He wants to restore this relationship in full. Okay, And in order to do that, we must be made righteous, and we have that in Christ Jesus. And one day, he will complete this work in us, and we will have maturity in Christ, conformed to his image completely when we enter into glorification one day. We will be saved in that way. He who began this good work in us will be faithful to complete it. But here's something that I want us to see, and this graphic helps us, or this illustration helps us, is that every single person who has ever drawn breath, who is drawing breath, or who will draw breath, is in relation to Jesus somehow. Did you get that? Every single person is in relation to Jesus somehow. Let me show you what that looks like. Next person, just come on up. This is A.J. Durand. He's a new intern here at Westwood. We are excited to have him here. Okay? And I'm already making him do stuff. So scoot back, AJ. I'm going to give you this right here. And if you'll hold it up for everybody to see. There are some people who are far away from Christ. They are far away from this vision. Okay? AJ, don't fall. What this means that they are far away is that they have no access to the gospel. Did you know that there are around 2 billion people uh, living right now who have never heard the name of Jesus? Did you know that? Two billion. This morning, as I was in our workroom in here making some copies, there's a little calendar, and it flips through unreached people groups in our world. And the one for this morning, I cannot begin to say the name. It is a people group that that lives in China, predominantly in China. And just in that one people group, there is 1.9 million people that have never heard the name of Jesus. So this is who this is speaking about. Those who are far away from Christ, 
have never heard the name of Jesus, have never heard the gospel, and therefore cannot respond to the gospel. But these people are in relation to Christ. Do you get that? Come on up the next person. Come on, Seth. Next, we see that there are some people who have gospel access. Come on this way just a little bit right there. Gospel access. These are people who have not heard the gospel, may not know about Jesus, but they have access to the gospel. They live among people who know Jesus, and so they have that access through the people that they know. Okay? Um, This may be people right here in our community. This may be people at your work that they have never heard the gospel. And listen, I used to think that it's impossible for somebody uh, to be in this uh, this this standing right here living among us because so many people know the gospel. We have so muddied the gospel. I no longer believe that. I think it's possible that there are people living in our community who have access to the gospel, but they've never heard clearly what the gospel of Jesus is. They've never heard clearly who Jesus is and how we are to respond to him. So that's what I mean when I talk about people who have gospel access. Come on up, Michael. The next category that we have are those with gospel contact. These are ones who have contact with people who know Jesus. They have a relationship with someone who knows Jesus, but they still have never heard the gospel. It's entirely possible that we work with some of these folks right here in our community. Let me say this. If you work uh, with people who are outside of Christ, we cannot say that they have no access to the gospel because you are the access to the gospel for them. And it's entirely possible that there are people outside of Christ who have many different relationships with people who are in Christ, but they still have never heard the gospel because those folks have not been faithful to articulate the gospel to them. And yet, this is how they stand in relation to Christ. They have contact, but they have not responded. They have not heard what the gospel is. The next category, come on up, Isaiah are those who live among people who have access to the gospel and they are in contact and they have folks who have been faithful to articulate the gospel to them. They have actually shared with them who Jesus is, shared with them what the gospel is, shared with them elements at least of what Jesus has done uh, to redeem us. There's an invitation that's been given to put your faith in Christ. These people would be those who have had the gospel shared. Okay, y'all scoot down just a little bit so we need more room. All right. Next person, come on up. No, Nikolai, you stay. I've got a special job for you. Come on. We have those who are new believers. Come on over this way just a little bit. There, just a little more. There you go. These are new believers. These are those who have heard the gospel and responded to the gospel, and they have begun to walk with Jesus, but they're very new in their faith. They're just learning how to read the Bible. They're just learning how to pray. They're just learning how to articulate and believe and understand some of these elements that make up their new faith. And so they're walking and they're in the infancy of their spiritual walk with Christ. Come on up, next person. Come on, Zach. Then we have those who are growing believers. These are believers who have along the way learned how to read their Bibles. They've learned how to pray. They still don't have those things mastered, but they're growing in their ability to do those things. They're becoming consistent in their walk with Christ. They're beginning to understand how to articulate the gospel to others. They come to church. They hear preaching. They hear Bible studies. They're participating within the life of the church, and they are growing. They're growing toward this picture of maturity in Christ. Come on up, next person. Now, this is where we get some categories that can change and kind of flip-flop. We also have struggling believers. 
These are believers who are growing in their faith, but then they arrive at a crisis of faith, perhaps. They're struggling in their life somehow. Maybe they've got a medical diagnosis that's really hard to understand and walk through. Maybe they're having some relational difficulties with others, believers and non-believers. That's just kind of throwing them into a crisis of faith. Maybe they are struggling with an element of belief. Maybe they're struggling with doubt concerning their salvation. It can be anything that's causing struggle in their spiritual life. And these two categories are really kind of interchangeable. We can be growing for a while, and then we enter into a season where we're struggling as a believer. And then we work through that and we get back into the place where we're growing as a believer. So these sort of relations to Christ can kind of flip-flop a little bit. One more. Georgia, come on up. And Josie, you're going to be disappointed, but i got too many volunteers. I know you're sad. Everybody look at Josie and wave so she's not feel left out. <laughs> Finally, we have equipped believers. Did you know that the, the, the biblical vision for us as believers does not stop here? Sometimes I'm afraid that we get that vision. And let me just say something, brothers and sisters. This is a very comfortable category to be in. If we're growing and we're really learning and we're accumulating knowledge about, about, about Christ and we're walking with Him and we're reading our Bibles and we are praying and we're growing in consistency and we come to church week to week, we can be growing and we can be growing exponentially. But the truth is, we are not to stop here. As we press into maturity, into Christ, there needs to come a time where we become equipped for the work of the ministry. And that passage in Ephesians 4, that's what that's all about. Is that the saints are equipped for the work of the ministry and the encouragement of the body of Christ so that we may grow up into maturity. Okay? So this is a picture of every single person that has ever drawn breath is in one of these categories. They are in relation to Christ somehow. Every person on the planet can be put in one of these categories. Do you get that? Now, we talked last week about God's agenda, how he moves rebellious sinners from the domain of darkness on this side, outside of Christ. He transfers rebellious sinners from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And how does that happen? Now, Nikolai, you can come on up. And Nikolai gets to hold this because Nikolai made this. It's one of the many beautiful things that Nikolai has made for me through the years. So I thought you'd enjoy holding it this morning. All right, so back up a little bit right there. What is the difference? It's Christ. It's what Christ has done for us. It's what Christ has accomplished for us. So we have those who are in the domain of darkness and then those who have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. But it doesn't stop here, does it? God's agenda is not just to transfer, but to transfer and transform. He desires for us not to remain new believers, but to move on, to become growing believers. And within the context of the body, as we face certain crises and struggles in our life, that we are to go back to being growing so that eventually we become equipped for the work of the ministry because we are all ministers of the gospel and we are moving toward the promise That he will complete this work in us. And we will one day be made mature in Christ. But the question for us is, how does this happen? And this is what I want us to lean into this morning, okay? Lean into this. How does it happen? Well, it looks like Liz creating a speed bump at My Life Matters. And coming beside someone who has come to My Life Matters for the first time. 
Coming beside them. Meeting them where they are. Asking them questions. Finding out where they are. Assessing them. Seeing where they are. And then what does Liz do? She doesn't want this young girl to stay here. What does she do? She speaks the Word of God into her life in order that she may grow one more relation to Christ. That she may press Him into Christ. Press her into Christ. Ultimately, so that I can point you to the cross and ultimately so that you can respond to the message of the Gospel so that you may become transferred. And after that young lady becomes transferred, she then can walk with her to help her to become growing, to help equip her, to push her into maturity, into Christ. Do you see how it works? This is what it means to speak the gospel into the lives of others, or speak God's word into the lives of others. It's meeting people where they are and saying, okay, brother, okay, sister, how can I help you move a little bit closer to Christ? You see, here's the problem so often is I think that we are overwhelmed by this idea of discipleship. I think that we look at somebody who is here that we've met, and they know a little bit about the gospel. And so we think, what else can I share? How can I continue to uh, paint this picture for you, help you to see it? But then we get overwhelmed because I don't understand how this person can get from here to here. And so we can become very overwhelmed, and that's where we make discipleship harder than it is. But brothers and sisters, here's the truth. If we can meet people where they are, we see that the next task is just to take them one more step towards Jesus. We take them one more step. We meet somebody where they are, and we say, okay, how can I help you become a growing believer? We meet somebody where they are, and we say, how can I help you become equipped for the work of the ministry? We meet people where they are, and we are able to speak the word into the struggle to help them struggle through it so that they may become a growing believer again. But it takes us being able to assess where people are, not in a judgmental way, but just in a way that helps me understand where you are and where you need to go in relation to Christ. There's an intentionality there, isn't there? There's two aspects to this that I think are important. Will you flip over to 2 Corinthians 5 with me? Two aspects to this. The first one is... Posture. 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 We have referenced this passage a few times in the past couple of weeks, I think, because it's just so relevant to what we're talking about in understanding who we are as ministers of the gospel, who we are as God's people tasked with proclaiming the word of God into the lives of others. Let's begin in, just start with me there in verse 6. Paul writes this, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 11. Therefore, therefore, because of this, building on this thought, knowing the fear of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade others. How do we persuade? With our words. What words? God's word. We persuade 
others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. A beautiful picture of me giving myself to him who has purchased me by his blood as a blank check. Do with my life whatever you will. And this beautiful picture here of the love of Christ compelling us. The word there conveys the idea of being hemmed in. The more that I abide in his love and abide in his word, his love hems me in. It controls me. It compels me. Notice what he goes on to say. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he became him, or he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first thing I want us to see is one of posture. Brothers and sisters, hear this, please. My question is, is this vision of people your vision of people? I'm afraid that so often the culture shapes how we view people. And because of that shaped posture, we are not postured in a ministry way towards people. I see someone, and the first thing I see about them is that there is an R or a D next to their name, and so my mission for them is to switch that. I look at somebody and I make a moral judgment about them based on my own morality and I then imposture towards them to try to urge them to be more like me or I shut myself off from them because I don't want to be around them. If we view everyone according to where they stand in relation to Christ... I immediately know the most important thing about them, and I know where they need to go and what their greatest need is. The most important need of every single person is to move more deeply into Christ from wherever they are. If I adopt this posture towards people, that is a posture of ministry. But let's not just talk about the world, let's talk about our church. Is this the way that we view each other? Do we look at each other? And for the sake of Christ and for the sake of you, do I assess where you are in relation to Christ and then make it my goal and my aim to come beside you arm in arm and push you more deeply into Christ? It must start with this posture that we have a desire to see, brothers and sisters, 
And those outside of Christ move more deeply into Christ. But here's the second part. The first is posture. The second is just ability. We don't like to talk in these terms, but I think that this term applies. In order for me to be able to speak the word of God into the lives of others, I need to have the ability to do that. That is a skill that is to be developed. I think that's what Gerald was hinting at when he talked about the sovereignty of God and then our responsibility. And here's where those two things kind of kind of come together, is that if I want to come beside someone here and move them to the other side of the cross, I can't do that. That's a work of the Spirit. That's why next week we'll talk about how we have to be dependent, prayerfully dependent on the work of the Spirit. But we have a part to play in the intentionality that I come beside this person and try my best to point them to the cross, to point them to Jesus, to see that this is your greatest need, that Christ has already accomplished everything necessary to reconcile you with the Father. And I just continue to speak the word through perseverance and trying to help them to see that because I want more than anything else for this person to move to this side, to be transferred so that then we can begin to walk in transformation together. It's come up aside, brothers and sisters who are struggling. And although it may be awkward to enter into the struggle with somebody else, it's the ability then to be able to speak the word right into their struggle, into the midst of it. Why? Because I want them to walk through this faithfully. So that on the other side, they see a clearer picture of the faithfulness of God and to see their dependency on Christ. And you know what? It's through the struggle often that we grow most exponentially, especially together. It's ability that's there and it begins right along with God's agenda. Our agenda then is to press ourselves more deeply into maturity in Christ. And that a great aspect of that is me pressing into the word with you. Struggling in the word together, properly interpreting the word so that we can properly apply the word. And as I internalize that word, I gain the ability together with the work of the spirit in me to be able to speak that word into other contexts. But it's only as I pursue that can I then press others more deeply into Christ. One final passage I want us to turn to. Turn over to Philippians I love the very simple prayer that Paul prays for the church in Philippi. I love how Paul's prayer here focuses on affections. Look at verse 9 in Philippians 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. It's interesting to me that he doesn't qualify that love. There's no object there. I think this is the only place where Paul speaks of love that he doesn't give an object. Most everywhere else he talks about love for one another. Here it's just love. I think at the center of that is a love and passion for God himself. Just that your love may abound more and more, but then he brings it into the community. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with what? With knowledge and all discernment. Do you hear that skill that the spirit is developing within me as I am pursuing him with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I love verse 11 filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's or this is Paul's desire for this church and for us that our love would abound more and more for God, for his word. 
And that through that, we would gain knowledge and discernment so that we would approve what is excellent and continue to point each other in the way of excellence by pointing each other towards Christ, pushing each other into him. And what is the outcome of that? That we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I think it's interesting that this is the very next thing that Paul writes. Listen to it. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is in prison. And these brothers and sisters in Philippi, they're concerned for him. And I will bet that their first inclination is to pray that Paul would be sprung out of prison. And that's not Paul's prayer at all. Listen to the knowledge and discernment and the ability to approve what is excellent that Paul exhibits for us here. He exemplifies this for us. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And listen to what he says. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you hear that knowledge and discernment from Paul? That he is walking so much in accordance with the will of God. He's not bellyaching about this unfair thing that's happened to him in being imprisoned. He's resting in the sovereignty of God. And right there in the midst of it, he is proclaiming the word of God into the lives of others in prayerful dependence on the spirit and in perseverance. And guess what? It's bearing fruit. That the very ones who have imprisoned him, they're coming to faith. And not only that, but brothers and sisters in the church have been inspired by a God who is faithful and sovereign. So now they are more faithfully and boldly proclaiming the word into the lives of others. And that's bearing fruit. This is who Christ has purchased us to be. God's people who faithfully proclaim the word of God into the lives of others. And it starts with a posture that sees people where they are spiritually. And then an intentionality to be able to help move them one step closer to Christ. Don't make it harder than that. Don't make it harder than that. Here's my challenge to you. In your Sunday school class, in your life group, in your men's small group, your women's small group, you should be able to readily identify where everybody in that group is on this spectrum. Again, not for the sake of being judgmental. But the very next thought that you prayerfully have is, Lord, how can I faithfully proclaim your word into their lives in order to move them one more step to the right, one more step closer to Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that that would be our vision for each other and our vision for the world. God, help us as individuals, brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to not be content with where we are in relation to you. And Lord, it's so easy to do that. God, help us not be content with where we are. We need to be content in you. But we grow ever more content as we draw into you. So, Father, help us just develop a passion for knowing you and 
Lord, the way that you have given us to know you is through your word. That's where you have revealed yourself to us. It's through Christ. It's through abiding in you, by abiding in the word, by abiding in prayer. And Lord, as we dwell there and as we struggle in your word together, we develop this skill, this ability to be able to speak that word into the lives of others, meeting them right where they are. So God, I pray that you would work that posture into our hearts. And and Lord, that is going to be a miraculous work because our culture is so invested in setting our posture in other ways. Lord, rid us of that posture in, in the church. God, help us to have the posture of ministry toward one another. God, I pray that we would be passionate about developing this skill, this ability, God, together That we would learn to read your word. That we would learn to internalize your word. That we would learn to abide in it. Lord, for me and so many others, yesterday we picked up conversations that we have not had in a year. But we picked them up naturally and fluently as we began to talk about college football. And Lord, in that it exposes my heart. And not that that's a bad thing to like those things, Lord, but they are not to be the supreme love that we have. But help us to set our affections on you. And as Gerald, I think, said so well just a few minutes ago, God, that your word and the gospel would become the vocabulary, would become the language that we speak. Lord, that we wouldn't take canned presentations to the world, but we would take just a fierce love for Christ that just flows out of us. Lord, that we wouldn't share opinions with each other in the church, God, but we would just point each other and remind each other of the goodness of who you are through what you have given us in your word, God, because we have internalized it, because we know it, because we're able to speak it, and because we know that it's true. So God, work in us that way. God, help us to be passionate to see people grow into maturity into you. God, I pray that that would be the mark of this faith family. So God, thank you for the study. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about discipleship together. Father, remind us all that we are ministers purchased by you for this mission. So, Father, I pray that we would give ourselves to that mission. God, even now in this time of response, God, I pray that you would stir our hearts. Perhaps show us some ways that our posture is being shaped by something other than this. Or maybe show us that by now we should be able to speak the word in in much greater ways, but because we have not abided in your word, we, we, we lack the ability. God, help us to repent of that today, Father, and just have a renewed passion to to dive deeply into your words that we might accumulate that opportunity and that ability to do that, God. And then God, just make us passionate about that as we meet and gather together. Uh, Lord, that everything that we do here as a church would be in an effort to proclaim your word into each other's lives in order to see all of us press more deeply into maturity into Christ. So we thank you for your spirit that does that work within us. Now, God, help us to make ourselves wholly available to that work. We love you today. In Christ's name, amen.